As I was praying the last couple of weeks, kind of the Lord spoke, I believe, very, very, very clearly to me. And I want to share with you, obviously, in light of what's going on right now in our world, we could go on all night long tonight on the various things that are lining up in our world that let us know that we are very near that time when the Lord might pull his church home. And and as I say that, I want to encourage you tonight because I think a lot of people are in that place where they need a little encouragement. And so I want to do that. So I was pulling from photo files and thinking through all the things that are going on. Our our Secretary of State just made a speech a couple of days ago regarding our recent UN vote where we did not vote. We didn't use our veto power to protect the nation Israel. And, And so Israel is on high alert. That's a fact. Russia has grown to a strength that we have not seen uh, in probably 20 plus years. That is a fact. The world is absolutely a ticking time bomb in that sense. And Israel will always be, till the Lord comes again, the focus of these last days. And so as we look at those things which are going on in our world right now, we can surely uh, see that we're on the end of the heavenly timeline. When you think of the things that Scripture reminds us, uh, we know why the very last days are going to come because our Bibles tell us why. They're in Joel chapter 3. We know that because of what the nations of the world have done to God's land, which he gave to Israel because of how they've treated the Jewish people, that one day the Lord is going to pour out his wrath on this earth. They are the principal focus. Israel is the principal focus of the very last days. And so as Israel grows in its focus in our world, then we certainly know that we are getting close to that very last days of the last days. You see, very often people look at that term, last days, and they isolate it to a period of time that has actually not yet come. They they think of that time maybe begins at the rapture of the church and includes the tribulation and the second coming. Those are the last days. But from Jesus' perspective, he told us that the last days actually began when he was still here on earth. And so the last days have been the days that the church has existed in all the way into today. In that sense, from the time that Jesus left to today, all of it has been the last days. The question becomes, how close are we to the very last days? The Olivet Discourse gives us many signs, and I don't want to look at that tonight. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do a little homework when you go home, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. You're going to see some signs that Scripture reminds us in the very end of the very last of the last days, there are all kinds of signs that the Bible tells us will be increasing in number. Jesus used the phrase that they would become so frequent they would be like a woman who was in labor. 
Now, for you ladies, you can identify with labor pains if you've had a child. You know that when you get out towards the end of the pregnancy and the labor pains begin, from the time they begin to the time that baby's delivered, there is zero chance that that baby is not coming into the world. And from the time that they begin to the time that the baby is born, those pains are more frequent and more intense. Amen? That was what Jesus said. He said those things will come so quickly upon the world that they will be as a woman in travail or labor. And what are those things? Wars and rumors of wars. It used to be when you read the newspaper that you would occasionally come upon something that had global implications. Something that you could look at and say, well, that kind of looks like it's lining up with what the Bible says would be happening in the very last days. Now it's like every 37 seconds. Something happens that lets us know we are on a tenuous footing. If you had told me 10 years ago that our president would be talking nice to Vladimir Putin, uh, I would be going, mm, I don't think so. And yet we find ourselves in that kind of world today. And yet this is the same man that invaded Crimea, invaded Ukraine, has now moved military hardware of massive proportions into Syria most people don't even realize on a, on a scale, when you look at Israel, when you talk about Syria, this last week, Israel's Air Force, the, the IDFA, the Air Force has taken off and flown sorties in Israel, in, in their border area in the Golan, and, and veered off into Syria and hit targets in Syria. The Russian forces are in Syria. It's 60 miles from the northern border of Israel to Damascus, Syria. The oldest city on the planet that scripture says, Isaiah said it, there will come a time when that city, Damascus, shall be made a ruinous heap and shall not be a city again. Look at Aleppo and look at Damascus today and ask yourself a simple question. Are we any closer? Oh, indeed we are. You look at nuclear weapons proliferation. We now have nation states that we thought, you know, would never get nuclear weapons that actually already have them, like North Korea. We have areas of the world like Iran that are surely going to have nuclear weapons within the next few years. The world is not a safer place. It's a much more dangerous place. You have what's going on with those who would call themselves Muslim people of the book, Islam, and what's going on in, in Israel. And as you look at Israel and its size relative to the nations around it, it is an insignificant, tiny little country. And yet the UN seems to take, imagine for a moment that the Jewish people represent less than one-tenth of one percent of the entire population of the globe. So 99.99% of all human beings are not Jewish. And yet the UN, in 30% of its action since its founding, 30% of everything it's ever done have regarded something to do with the nation Israel. And now we have them back on the front page again of the UN. 
And the people that are most incensed are their own neighbors, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Muslim nations. There is an arms race there. Israel just today attacked two weapons caches in southern Lebanon. And again, to imagine when we travel to to Israel and we're traveling through the Golan and we come down through the Golan and into the northern plains of the Jordan River Valley to Tel Dan, when we're at Tel Dan, you can fire a regular rifle into Lebanon from there. And so two miles from where tourists are touring the ancient city of Dan and Abraham's gate, Israel is striking weapons caches of rockets, armored personnel carriers, a fuel depot, and yet the world is saying, you need to give up more land. So we are in fact getting closer and closer and closer. We, we now have President-elect Donald Trump has already announced that the U.S. will honor the eternal capital of Israel as Jerusalem. Praise the Lord, because it is Israel's eternal capital. Amen? But do you realize the U.N. just voted to not make that happen? The U.N. just said you have to give that back. So you have the U.N. fighting against the U.S. president. Elect. Be president in 20 days. You, you, you see, the world is a very tenuous place. When you travel to the Western Wall today, you may call it the Wailing Wall, but the Western Wall, the most revered place in all Judaism, the only remaining portion of the Temple Mount Wall from Herod's Temple. That is the one place on the face of the earth that every single Jewish person longs to go to. And it's a scant 400 feet long and 16 rows of blocks. That's it. And now you have the UN saying we're going to give that back, in essence, to the control of Jordan. And our president saying we're going to move our embassy there because we believe that the capital. Do you, do you see the tension that's going to cause? between Arabs and Israelis, between Muslims and Jews. When you enter into the holy city, into the old city of Jerusalem, it's divided in quarters. There's a Christian quarter and a Jewish quarter and a Muslim quarter and an Armenian quarter. Isn't it strange? That's because the largest group of Christians outside uh, of the world that we call Europe for centuries was what is now called Turkey, Armenia. 1.5 million of them died at the hands of Ottoman Turks. And now we see that rising up again in the expulsion of Christians from government positions. So the world is becoming very chaotic. Russia absolutely on the rise. Mind-boggling things going on in our world that when you sit and think about it, it's like, man, 
these are the things that Jesus said. These are the things that the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said. These are the things the Old Testament prophet Zechariah said. These are the things that the apostle Paul told us would be happening in the very last days. How about our own nation? Has there ever been a time where there is a greater divide between people who know the Lord and love the Lord and believe in the Lord and those who don't? It's gotten so bad that now you have political parties being defined by the evangelical right and the humanist left. And by the way, I don't believe that's actually true. But that is the way the news media frames it. That on one side you have Christians, on the other side you have, in essence, people who have some other viewpoint for the most part. And again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That's the way the news media frames it. Because fully 35% of, of each party is kind of in flux. And yet, here in our country, we, we look at the world that we live in, and brothers and sisters... If you were to get signs, and, and, and I pray that none of you even know vulgar words, but I'm sure you probably do if you got saved after you were three years old. <laughs> and as you, you begin to, maybe you just write all those words down on a single piece of cardboard, everything that you could possibly think of. And you stand out on the street corner and you hold that up Nobody's going to bother you. But if you hold up Jesus Christ as Lord, you're eventually going to be asked to leave. It has actually become hate speech to say Jesus Christ is Lord. That is crazy. And I'll get to it in a little bit. From where our country was founded to where we are today, Brothers and sisters, we are out on the end of the timeline. That apostasy of the last day. The, the magnitude of the power that Russia is exerting. And then the rise of China. Up until two weeks ago, China did not have an operating aircraft carrier. They now have an operating aircraft carrier. You know where they got it? Ukraine. Ukraine. The Russians sold it to them. They retrofitted it, outfitted it. And that's now doing round-the-clock flight operations just like we have battle carrier groups with aircraft carriers all over the globe. We currently don't even have one in the Persian Gulf. And so now China rising up. China has already ripped off the technology for our state-of-the-art F-35 strike fighter that we just sold to Israel. They now have the first of the operational squadrons that exist anywhere in the world, and China already has that technology because they stole it from us. The world is a dangerous place. And it's getting more so, not less so. You look at what China is doing in the South China Sea. If you remember your Second World War history, there's an awful lot of American blood and treasure that fought over the South China Sea, controlling those shipping lanes. And now you have China building military bases on islands that they built 
They were just coral atolls. They filled them in with sand. They're now militarizing those. That will, in essence, make the overlap between their base out in the middle of the South China Sea and the mainland one congruous piece of airspace, which they're going to claim. That's the main shipping lanes for all of Asia. Crazy. We just fought the Second World War 70 years ago. And now we're back in that same place. The Far East is on the rise. So how close are we? Pretty close. There in Second Peter chapter 3, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what things? Everything there is things. The whole world. There's going to be a new heaven eventually and a new earth. Amen? That's going to happen. And so for us as the church, instead of completely getting wild and crazy about all of this, I have a suggestion for us. Let's get busy about our Father's business. You see, because Peter asked the question, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Look, you have a choice. We have a choice. And I told you I didn't want to spend the whole evening going over prophetic things, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a a teaser, if you will. So you can be on the lookout yourself. If you listened to all that I just said and then went home, it would make you want to build a bomb shelter in your backyard. And we don't have very big backyards here in L.A. There's not much to work with back there. It could be fright-filled. And yet for us, as the church, we have been called to look forward and hasten the glorious appearing of our great God and King. And that is a blessed hope, by the way. It's not a monumental fear. And it is that blessed hope that I want to talk to you tonight As we end 2016 and begin 2017, I want to challenge you to not let these things move you from what you've been called to do. Because as much as these things are wonderful and interesting, and we will study them as we're in 1 Thessalonians right now, and then 2 Thessalonians, we're going to look at some end times events. We're going to spend some time looking at the prophetic word of God. Far more important is what are you doing right now with what you already have? What is the church about? What are we going to do with what God has given us? But Because He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And He's given us His love, and He's put that in our hearts. And He's enabled us to even be here tonight. And so, frankly, I want to encourage you to be a light, to be a bearer of the good news, to look forward to that glorious appearing absolutely, to absolutely know the times and the seasons. It's late, folks. On the great timeline, it's really late. Jesus is coming soon. If you read through the Bible with us, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen? 
we, we want the Lord to return, but at the same time, how many of you, and I want you to honestly answer this question by showing your hands right now, how many of you know someone who does not know the Lord? There's 100% of the hands up, I believe, in the sanctuary right now. That means that for those people, they need Jesus. You have a job to do. We have a job to do in 2017. And it's called being the light. We want to be the light in 2017. Look, it's been a hard year. Most contentious presidential election probably in the history of the nation. And people were divided over it. How about we no longer be divided, but we be united in Christ? Amen? Because all of that animosity and angst and hurt and hatred and stuff that was getting tossed around, it did not solve a single thing, did it? It never has, and it never will. You see, because hate doesn't accomplish anything. But love does. Darkness doesn't accomplish anything. But light does. Darkness is just simply the absence of light. That's all darkness is. If there's any light, then the darkness flees. How about we be light? How about we encourage one another? I want to give you a handful of things to to start with tonight. There is an amazing claim. Here's what Jesus said in John 8. This is the second of his I am statements. He's using a Greek phrase, ego eme. It means I am, but it relates this way. It is not just something that he became. It's the substance of who he is. And it was related to, to the covenant name of God through the word that was spoken to Moses, when Moses was told by the Lord, when he asked the question, he said, who shall I say sent me? God told Moses, you tell them, I am that I am sent you. And the way that works out in the original language is you tell them God sent you. Y-H-V-H, Yahweh. You give them the covenant name of God. And so as Jesus makes these I am statements, it's one of the reasons that we know that people knew he was God because when he said, I am, every single person of of Jewish heritage that was a religious Jew came undone when he said that. Because they knew that in saying I am, he was claiming to be God. And so here's one of those statements. An amazing claim. I am the light of the world. And he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He makes that amazing claim. He gave us already in in the beginning of this, and this is a claim that John made about Jesus. An amazing truth. 
the light of the world was a true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. You see, you have an amazing claim and an amazing truth, and they're linked together. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with his people. The light of the world came into the world that the world through him would be saved. Jesus is the light. But look what happens. You see, Jesus isn't still walking the earth anymore, right? Here's the amazing handoff, and this is where you come in. This is your charge for the next year. I want to charge you with the handoff. Speaking to the disciples, Jesus himself says, you are the light of the world. Now, wait a second, Jeff. Didn't Jesus say that he was the light? Yes, he did. But when Jesus left, he passed the church, individual believers, every single person who has ever named the name of Christ, you got the baton. And so he says to you and I tonight, you are the light of the world. And a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Family, I want that to be us. It's a very simple command. We have been called to be light. And that light is not our light, it's his light. He passed the light off to you and I. Because we cannot manufacture that light, but we can definitely shine that light. We can mirror that light back out. And as that light has come to us as the body of Christ, we have an obligation to shine the light that we have in this world. Now I pray that you'll take that seriously, but that you'll also have joy in doing it. Look, is the world winding down? Absolutely. So here's why I want to encourage you with being the light. Because time is short, let's get busy. Let's take that as a challenge. Every one of you admitted that you know somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Now is your time to shine. Now is your time to shine. It's time to shine in the workplace. It's time to shine at school. It's time to shine in your own home. It's time to shine in the grocery. It's time to shine. It's time to get out of the shadows and start shining. It's time. We, we've done enough arguing and bickering. We, we've done enough poking at each other. Let's grab hold of some joyous light and shine it on our world. Look, the simple fact of the matter is, if the Lord comes tonight, we're all going home that know him. Amen? So it'd be an end of a, that'd be a great way to end the year. So in light of that, let's have some joy. Let's have some happiness. 
Let's go out into our world and be so infectiously shiny that people wonder what's wrong with us. Any of you ever go over to somebody's house and they have all stainless steel appliances in their kitchen and they actually don't have fingerprints on them? Isn't it amazing? You look at it and you're like, wow, I can see my face in your fridge. Which is really bad because when you walk up, you're kind of fat in the fridge. And it's good for the stuff inside, but not so good for your hunger. Have some joy. The reason I say this is when you're looking at that light that's you in the fridge door, in that shiny fridge door, um, that's actually not you. That's light reflected back. That's something that's shown on you that's now shining off of you. Do you get the picture? The light of the Lord has shown on you and actually resides in you and it's supposed to shine out of you. But too many of us don't have anything to offer. We're not shining. We let those things in the world, and again, don't dismiss what I'm saying here. Because I understand we we have stuff going on in our lives. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. But here's the good news. He's shining on you. It's Him that shines out of you. He's not asking you to make the light. Just shine it. He's not asking you to burn up a bunch of energy and make the electricity that turns on the bulb that does the lighting itself. He's saying, would you simply reflect me back to people? Would you let me shine off of the surface of you? After getting all the Pope's luggage loaded into a limo, and the Pope does not travel lightly, I might add. I was actually at a hotel in Budapest when he moved in to do a conference in Budapest, and he took up about the top five or six floors of the hotel. Quite an entourage that travels with him, but... Uh, the driver notices that the, the Pope is still standing at the curb. And there's the Pope at the curb, and, and he says, Excuse me, Your Eminence, uh, would you please take your seat because it's time to leave? And the Pope looked at him, and he said, They never let me drive at the Vatican. I'd really like to drive today. The driver says, Sir, I'm sorry, but I, I, Your Eminence, I can't let you do that. I'll lose my job. And the Pope says, well, there's a little something extra. If I could just drive. So the Pope gets in and he's going to drive. Starts driving. He gets up to about 105 year, miles an hour. <laughs> gets pulled over. Cop steps out. The driver who's in the back seat where the Pope normally sits. is like, oh, I'm, good. I'm dead. Going to lose my license. Pope pulls over, rolls down the window. License and registration, please. Says, well, I don't have one. All right, well, I need to talk to the chief. So he calls the chief. Radio's in. Chief gets on the radio. He says, I just stopped a limo going 105. The chief says, so why are you calling me? Bust him. He says, I don't really think we want to do that. He's important. Well, that's all the more reason. Bust him. He says, no, I, I mean really important. Well, he have the mayor? No higher than that. The governor? No bigger than that. Well, who is it? I think it's God. <laughs> he says, why would you think that? 
because he's got the Pope for a limo driver. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, don't we? No, I, I, I want you to begin this year with the joy of the Lord. And so as we look at this amazing claim, as Jesus speaks, he was speaking in John 8 on the Feast of Hanukkah, which we just had the opportunity to celebrate. He, he's speaking at this time when this giant menorah would be lit, and it signified the, time, the cleansing of the temple after the Maccabees finally delivered the temple back from Antiochus Epiphanes in about 165 B.C. And so the temple is cleansed, and for the first time, there's light shining out of there. And so from a Jewish perspective, when Jesus says, I am the light, they're actually seeing the light of the menorah for the first time coming out of the front door of the holy place. There the light is finally shining. And Jesus says, I'm the light. And you can imagine the people. Seriously, you're the light? This unknown preacher from the region of Galilee speaks with a Galilean accent. You're the one who moves the sun and the stars. You give life to plants. You see, little did they know, he was actually saying, yeah, that's me. You see, he was not only the light of the world, the light to the world, but he is literally the light of the world. This country preacher was the king of kings, the lord of lords, but he was also creator of heaven and earth. He was not just the light of the world in the sense that he brought a message that was lighting the world, but he was, in fact, the light itself. And the reason we know that is the astounding fulfillment of that claim. Because that light has transformed everything in our world. What Jesus was talking about was revolutionary. We have a revolutionary message. The message of the gospel is a revolutionary message that is supposed to light the world with the light of the world. And, and I find it almost odd when I think about the world of church today. Because a lot of the church has a really tiny Jesus. Matter of fact, you can hardly ever find him. He's mixed in amongst a lot of programs and things that the church does, but the light is not as bright as the light should be. For the past 2,000 years, there have been literally billions of lives transformed. Hundreds of millions at least, quite probably billions of lives transformed by that light. And so when he says that, he, he is actually making the claim, yes, I am life. And of course, we know that's spiritual life. That's eternal life. That is life-changing principles. That light that came into the world is still changing men and women's lives. Amen? 
It was an astounding claim. It was an amazing claim. You think about the founding of our own nation. You go back and look at the history uh, of the college system in our country. The first 152 colleges in this country were all founded by churches. That includes Yale, Princeton, Harvard. Matter of fact, it used to be that when you went to those schools, you had to take Greek. You were forced in your course of study to study the Bible. And now you can't study your Bible if you go to those colleges. The light of the world came and shone His light on this country, and we've abandoned that light. That's why it's so important for us to be light in our world. We have this gigantic lie that every scientist on the face of the earth is an unbeliever. That is not true. Matter of fact, a vast majority of the scientific world initially were Bible-believing Christians. Pascal, Copernicus, Lord Kelvin, the founder of DNA, John Collins, Marconi, Pasteur, Werner von Braun, the inventor of modern rocketry, Isaac Newton himself. And yet people, well, you know, I don't, this whole light thing, I don't know. How did we turn that corner? How did we turn that corner? Because Christians stopped shining brightly for Jesus. Instead of taking the joy of the Lord and the light of the Lord out into the world, well, you know, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. And so the world thinks that there's no Christians left that are scientists and doctors, people with great minds. They think that every Christian has to be ignorant. That is so absolutely, insanely untrue, it's mind-boggling. Galileo, Madame Curie, Michael Faraday, the founders of most of the principal sciences taught in our colleges today were all Christians. Shining light in the world. Can we not do that today? So he makes this amazing claim as he puts forth this astounding fulfillment. Think about it. Imagine if you, in your sphere of influence, were to go out and tell people about the light of the Lord and be shining for Jesus in such a way that in your area of expertise, your area of excellence, the life that you live, you tell people about Jesus simply with the way you live. That you're not ashamed to have your Bible at work or in your car. That you don't let anybody tell you you can't speak the name of Jesus in public places. It's not illegal. There's a bunch of goofballs who'd like to make it so, but I'm pretty sure the Second Amendment protects guns and the First Amendment protects speech. Amen? Amen. So you don't want us to have to use the gun, so let us talk. You see, too many people just give up. 
They stop being light. Please be light this year. Don't let somebody snuff you out. The light has power, family of God. And as Jesus himself is the light, by him were all things that are created, created, including light. That's why he could say both spiritually and physically he is the light. Spiritually he's the light. Physically he's the light. That's why Micah reminds us that his, his comings from before, those goings forth, have been from old, they've been from everlasting. Jesus is not a created being. He's God. He's the creator. He himself is light. Even though scientists may not understand what keeps our sun going, Jesus knows what keeps it going. It's him. They're trying to figure out, well, is there enough nuclear fission going on inside of the sun? They don't know. They still don't know. There's a reason for that. It's tough to get to the center of the sun. We haven't figured out how to survive being inside the middle of a thermonuclear explosion. It doesn't cause Jesus to be all freaked out. The brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, he is upholding everything by the word of his power, the writer of Hebrews tells us. He has that power. And in him, Colossians 1.17 says, in him all things have their being or consist. So when we're talking about our Savior, when we're shining Jesus on the world, that is the most certain thing that you can ever talk about. Do you talk about Jesus like the most certain thing that you have ever talked about? Let me put it in perspective for you. How many people have you ever heard talk about their favorite sports team, myself included, as if it were the gospel? My clippers are croaking right now. I was sure this is the year. And I'm telling you, yeah, well, look out. Golden State's going down. Now I'm going to be wearing a Golden State jersey or something. I don't know. Because it's not a certainty. Amen? But can I tell you what is a certainty? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the light of the world. And he passed some of that light right onto and right off of you. And that is certainty. In an uncertain world, you have the one certain thing that people need. Speak about the Lord with certainty, would you please? Don't speak around Jesus. When people ask you whether you're a a Christian or not, you tell them, I'm a follower of Jesus. The light of the world has shone on my path. You see, Jesus made that claim so you can bank on it. You can take that claim to the bank and you'll never be ashamed. When you tell people about Jesus, you're telling them about truth. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Amen? So when you're talking about Jesus, instead of talking about sports, which is all good, it's a good way to get people engaged in talking to you, drop the Jesus bomb on them. You're in the middle of that conversation and start talking about, you know, get into some astrophysics or something. Bono, you got a phone? Look it up. 
And then tell them about the light of the world. I'm always amazed how many Christians talk about Jesus as if he is a cartoon character. Not the light of the world. He's somebody, I don't, well, yeah, I'm, well, you know. Hushed tones, deep uncertainty, even skepticism from believers. That is not shining Jesus, and the world needs Jesus. A little incidental note for you. The modern scientific concept that Albert Einstein came up with, that, that in essence there's an equivalence of mass and energy. You can't destroy one. and make, they, they just transfer back and forth. You either have it, the whole universe is expressed in one of those two things. E equals mc squared, that little formula. That's exactly what the Bible says about Jesus. That there is an equivalence of mass and energy. That he is the creator of all things and he energizes all things. So your Bible actually agrees with Einstein in that sense. All things consist. They're held together, glued together. That's that's why we don't walk in darkness right now, spiritually or physically. Because he keeps the sun shining. You ever thought about how unique our place is in the universe? Think about it for a second. If we were Mercury, y'all going to be sunburned. Get out to Mars, you're, you're going to freeze to death. Depending on which side you're on. Because it doesn't rotate like this planet does. The specific gravity to hold you on this planet, to keep your body compressed just sufficiently to where you don't explode from the pressure inside of your body from your organs functioning. There's a whole lot of things about us that are pretty cool. The light has shone on us. It's given us a very specific place in the whole universe. You have teams of astrophysicists all over the world searching for planets that might have life on them. They get all excited about finding some blob of ice underneath the surface of Mars. Whoopee! Last time I looked, we can't live in ice. And we sure can't live where the surface temperature of part of that planet is near absolute zero, almost 256 degrees below zero. And yet it's not that much further from the sun. The light of the world shone on this planet with these people, with that message. Think about it. The modern physical world is amazing. That light has power. That light has purpose. For in him, that's the word of God, John 1, 4 says, was life. In Jesus was life. Physical life, because he's the creator. Spiritual life, because he's the redeemer. So when he says, in him is life, It's both parts. It's crazy. How about we shine a little bit of that light on our world? 
Don't let people disrespect your Jesus. Don't let them do it. He wasn't some hillbilly from the sticks up in northern Galilee. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He didn't count it robbery just because he put off the glories of heaven. Didn't mean that he still wasn't God. Don't let them talk about your Jesus like that. Get up in their grill and tell them about the real Jesus. Man, I, I just, I think about what the world thinks about my Savior. And it, just, it just drives me crazy. I sit there and talk with people. And, well, you know, the Bible this and the Bible that. And they've never read the Bible. No, we let them get away with the Bible this and the Bible that. Got an idea for us. Let's all read through the Bible again so that we know our Bible. So that when you say dumb things, we can say, that isn't true. You know, truth is a good thing when you're trying to shine the light because he is the truth. So you need to have the truth so that the truth can come out of you. That's why we study God's word the way we do here. You see, what Jesus said as we return to that principle there in Matthew 5, when he said, you are the light of the world, Obviously, he was referring just to the spiritual. Because none of you became creator when you got saved. None of us became creator God, sustainer God when we came to faith in Christ. But here's what happened. He did put the light of salvation in us. And it does shine out of us because our lights shine in this world. That's why that passage in Matthew 5 says, look, if you don't stick it under a bushel basket, but you put it on a hill, people can see it. So you get the principle? In this new year, let's put Jesus on the top shelf, not underneath the basket. As we go out into our world, we were past heaven's torch. This is where you come in. This is where I come in. This is where the church comes in. The Great Commission is simple there in Matthew 28. It is go. Amen? And make disciples of all men, all women, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's going to take us three days in 2017 to have our first missions trip. We prayed for the team on Thursday night that's going to El Salvador. We need to go, but we go with the light of the world. We're, we're going to be flashlights. We're, we're going to be that bright beam. We're going to have that laser focus going into this new year. It's amazing now. I, the, the transition in technology and flashlights is pretty staggering, isn't it? Some of us older folks have been around for a while. Remember those old, it seemed like every kid my age ended up with some piece of usually Korean War or Second World War uh, military stuff. And among those with those 90 degree flashlights that had the red lens on them, it's so that the enemy couldn't see you. That's why they actually had a red lens in it. 
and you'd turn that thing on, you can't see three feet in front of your face with that thing. And if you take the red lens out and put the clear one in there, maybe you can see 50 feet. Now you can go to Walmart and pick up a pack of flashlights that you can check out the guys in the space station with. It's like, oh yeah, hi. We're supposed to be bright lights, amen? Not like I hope nobody sees my light, so I'm going to keep it under a little bushel basket here. Not I kind of got my big flick over here. I'm going to like light that thing up. We should be bright. We were past the light of the world. We were not handed off some funky little flashlight. We were passed off the light. The one that can light the heart of every single person on earth. If we'll shine it. If we'll shine it, folks. It's up to us. That's why he said you're the light of the world. You don't light that lamp and put it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand. You lift it up. little interesting thing about you may not know this, but when you design churches, there's actually a certain amount of lumens that have to come from the light fixtures on the ceiling down to the floor. It's called a minimum illumination because you need to be able to read. You need to be able to see. And so there has to be a certain number of light bulbs in here. The reason those lights are up there and not down here is because the light goes further. We brought all these lights down to hang just over your head. You wouldn't be able to see a thing except for a light fixture. We're supposed to lift up the light. We're supposed to lift up the name of Jesus. We're supposed to elevate him to a position of prominence and authority in our lives so that the world can see Jesus, that we glow a little bit with some of that light. And it's a challenge for us. And brothers and sisters, I know it's hard. It's difficult. But it's not impossible. There's a difference between difficult and impossible, amen? That's why Jesus said, with God all things are possible, amen? There's nothing impossible with him. It might still be hard. But lift his name up, please. The only way that we can hasten his glorious appearing is by seeing people get saved. Did you know that? That is the only way, that's the only impact that you have as a believer in when the time of his appearing comes. The only thing that you can do is to make other believers. That's it. Nothing else. There could be lots of other good things to do, but it is seeing to it that people see the light, know the light, and give in to the light of Jesus that will hasten his appearing. Because here's what would happen. If everybody on the planet got saved, he could come. Amen? Nobody left. Kingdom age could start. Tell your friends. And so let your light, verse 16 there of Matthew 5 says, shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory or glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
You see, that's light shining. That's what that is. That's what we're supposed to do. And so I ask you the question, are you really shining? You see, it's not your determination as to what people do with the light. It's theirs. Yours is to simply shine it. Too many people take out their flashlight of Jesus and they selectively shine it. It's like, well, I think I can turn it on here. We need to be shining all the time. So the people see us and they understand there's something different about us. And so, verse 16 says, let your light shine before men. It's spoken of in the positive sense. And so let it shine. I mean, Sunday school, how many of us sang that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Amen? You know why? Because it's still the Great Commission. It's still what we've been called to do. And so let's do it. Are your friends or your family, your schoolmates, teachers, are they glorifying God because of you? That's what Jesus said. That they may see your good works, those godly things out of you, and actually glorify God because of it. What a challenge. Amen? Imagine if all of us took that seriously. Imagine what that would do to our world, to our community. You want to transform lives, this is how we do it. One light at a time. One shining light at a time. There are only four ways that light reacts to substances. One is transparent. Light passes directly through that type of a person. They're completely unaffected by it. Clear glass allows light to go straight through it. Doesn't even touch them. G. Campbell Morgan in his book, How to Live, said this. He said, he watched this conversation between two men and the men approached him. They were going to his church. And as they began to talk, they were just laughing and carrying on and giggling. And it's just like, oh, this is so great. And at the end of the conversation between these two men, they said, isn't it, isn't it funny that we could work in the same place and neither one of us knew that the other was a Christian? And G. Campbell Morgan said, that is the saddest thing that I've ever heard. One or both of you need to give your life to Jesus tonight. Because it was inconceivable to him that they could have worked together for five years and neither of the other, neither or the other, knew that the other one was saved. Are you so translucent with the things of God that it doesn't even shine any way out of you? Gone right through? Nobody can tell? People look right through you because they can't really see anything shining back at them. Some are translucent. Translucent things scatter light. It gets broken up into component parts. And let me explain what I mean when I say that. If we have been handed the light, we're certainly not let, let it to pass through us as if it never touched us. But we should not scatter it either to where 
people only get part of the light. The visible light spectrum contains all of the colors that we call the rainbow, and together they form white light. But if you're a child of the 60s, you remember those crazy prisms that we all had hanging from our mirrors in our cars that blinded people? Well, they would split up the various wavelengths of light, and so you would see red and green and blue. Some people tear apart the light, and they divest it of truth. And they take away holiness. Maybe they only leave the love of God. Which at the end of the day, God is love to be certain. But he's also holy. He's also perfect. He hates sin. So as bearers of the light, we need to give people the whole spectrum of the light of God. Not just a couple of our favorite wavelengths. We must not be translucent. Cults are translucent. They take a few verses that they like and they keep those. And the rest, it's like, well, no, it really doesn't. Yeah, it does say that. A third way, some are opaque. That means they actually stop the light from passing through at all. When something's opaque, when light hits it, it dies there. God, not let that be any of us. That we don't stop the light of God. You you see an awful lot of Christians, the light comes in, but it dies with them. It stops in their life. We never want to be one of those Christians who allows sin to creep in and there's there's so much sin in our life that the light just stops. Nobody can see any light coming out of us. We want to be like a river that just flows forth with what comes in goes out. We need to be conduits of the light. We need to be a way that that light can get to the world, not a place where the light comes and stops. And the fourth, some are like mirrors. There's an interesting thing about a perfect mirror. Back in the 1950s when telescopes were largely optical, you have the whole array of telescopes up on Mount Wilson, but in San Diego County, the Palomar Observatory, the world's largest single piece of corning glass shaped into a mirror that allowed for the first time people to see with the naked eye into deep space. The reason being that mirror was perfect to within two one hundred thousandths of an inch of perfection over its entire 300 inch surface. So as the light would shine on it, it would be collected and bounced off the center and then into an optical viewing lens. 
And because that mirror was so precise, 99.95% of the light that hit the surface got reflected back to the collecting lens. Why do I say that? Because we're supposed to be perfect mirrors for Jesus. What hits us shouldn't stick with us. It shouldn't get refracted. It sure shouldn't pass through us like it never did anything. It should bounce off of us and back to the world that we live in. 100% that comes in should go out. What we know about the Lord, how he has touched our lives... Everything about him that has touched you should have an opportunity to touch someone else. We want to be mirrors. You see, here's the crazy thing. The mirror can't produce a bit of light. It can only reflect back what is already there. And for you, for me, for us as a church... Our goal should be to let that light hit us and then for us to reflect it back to the world. All of it. Not what we like. Not muddled because of our sin. Not refracted and bounced around and made translucent because we don't really want to tell people the whole story. You see, here's what happens. You find that guy or that girl that you think the Lord has called you to marry, and all of a sudden you become quite translucent. Well, yeah, I kind of sort of go to church. And yeah, I almost kind of, yeah, well, I have a Bible. And well, I'm not really all that into Jesus. Because you don't want them to think that you're a weird Jesus freak. When in fact you are a weird Jesus freak. (laughs) You need to make sure the true light shines out of you. And all of the light shines out of you. I wonder how many people are like a woman named Rose Crawford... She was blind for 50 years. And when she first became blind, there was no surgery for cataracts. And she had a cataract surgery after 50 years of blindness. She was in a hospital in Ontario, Canada. And she was just overjoyed until a doctor came in and asked her, Why did you wait so long? And in shock, she said, what do you mean? Well, we've been able to do this surgery for 30 years. Nobody told her about the surgery. How many people right now are walking around in your life that are spiritually blind? because you've not told them about the surgery. How many people in your life, as Scripture says, how will they be saved? How will they hear unless you tell them the word? 
Romans 10, when we get there on Thursday nights, how shall they then call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Are you going to be a really amazing mirror? Or are you going to be something far less than that? Because there are blind people everywhere, just like Rose Crawford, who want to see. They, they, they want to not any longer be blind. But we have to tell them. We have to let that light hit us and bounce off of us. And I want to challenge you to do that. Make it your aim, make it your goal to lead one person to faith in Christ this year. Just one. By the way, a little simple math. If one leads one, that's called doubling the body of Christ. At least as far as this church is concerned. Can you imagine if every church took that challenge? Well, we take the ice bucket challenge. We take the mannequin challenge. We take the planking challenge. How about we take the Jesus challenge to shine light? Amen? Amen? I'm going to bring the worship team back up. I'm going to have the men begin to get ready to pass out the elements of communion. And while they're doing that, I want to share another little story with you because it's it's a picture, I think, that will help us as we go to the communion table. So, young woman in Texas, a little town called Katy, who at 28 years old was told she had cancer and it was terminal. She had less than a year to live. And the cancer progressed, and as, as surely as she had been told, her plight was such that she was in incredibly ill health she met with her pastor to get the memorial service all squared away and sat down they had lunch together and she told him about the songs that she wanted sung and she wanted to be buried and she said I really have kind of a strange request and I don't quite know how to tell you this because I don't want you to think I'm weird. But I want you to bury me in that casket with my hand up on my chest with a fork in it. And the pastor kind of shook his head and said, are you sure? A fork? She said, yes, a fork. He said, do you mind if I ask you Why? She says, something my grandmother told me. She'd been coming to this church for a very, very, very long time. And she told me, every time we have a potluck, that at the end of the meal, someone invariably came by and told her to keep her fork. And he said, well, what do you mean? You see, because there was always dessert 
And so when I'm in that casket and I'm gone and I'm in heaven, I want to remind everybody that the best is yet to come. So keep your fork. That's part of who we are, folks. We're supposed to be such a visible representation of the Lord Jesus Christ that people know there's something better coming. Because in this world, they don't have hope. They got problems. In this world, they don't have real friends. They may have some acquaintances and a whole bunch of enemies. We have the answer. There's a reason for us to keep our forks, amen, and to be light.